0: Good morning again. Welcome to Community Church. We are glad that you're here. It's good to see the sun shining. It's good to see the temperatures rising. Um, When I start seeing those 60-degree days pop up, I start really yearning for spring. But uh, I know I'm probably a little bit early for that. But It won't be long now. We're almost there. We've almost made it through winter, but it's good to see you. So glad that you've come to worship with us this morning. It's always good to gather around the Word of God with you. I hope that you've had a blessed week. I hope that it's been very productive in the Lord. But I hope that you've come this morning expecting to hear from God. I hope that you've come this morning expecting to meet him right here. Right here in the midst of our worship. Right here in the midst of our fellowship. Because our Lord actually promised that he would be in our midst when we gather together. So long as we gather in two or three, right? Where two or three are gathered in his name, according to Jesus and Matthew eighteen twenty then he is there in our midst. Now, granted, Community Church is still a small fellowship of believers, but praise the Lord, we qualify for that promise, right? We qualify for that. So uh, I am grateful that the Lord always keeps his promises, and we're going to explore that a little bit more in our study this morning. But before we get too far down the road, I need to do a little bit of personal housekeeping here before we get into the message. I made a couple of mistakes in my message last week that I want to correct. Um, My first mistake was that I accidentally made the illusion that Christ was born in Nazareth of Galilee. I don't know if you caught that or not, but I didn't say that. I alluded to that, and I apologize. Of course, we know that's not true. Scripture plainly tells us that he was born in Bethlehem of Judea. That's in our text for next week when we get into Luke chapter 2. We'll see that. So that's mistake number one. But unfortunately, the good times didn't stop there. I also offhandedly made another comment that I regret. I said offhandedly that Mary, or most likely, I think I said, had some doubts. And then what I did was proceeded to uh, show from Scripture how that was not true. (laughs) Um, So I want to apologize for that. I don't think Mary had any doubts at all, and we, I think, uh, bore that out in Scripture. But I, before that, had said uh, mistakenly that she was doubting. So anyway... I apologize for all of that. One thing I know for sure is that if you speak long enough in public, you're bound to make some mistakes along the way. And trust me, I've made several. Undoubtedly, I'll make more. But if I can catch them, I'll try to correct them as best I can. But thank you for being gracious and understanding when I do blow it. I do appreciate that. But this morning, we're going to continue our study through the Gospel of Luke. We're still in chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, you're welcome to turn there. Luke chapter 1. Uh, We've come to a very important section in this gospel narrative in Luke. Luke has set the stage, if you will, for two very important events in history. The first one is the birth of the forerunner. That's John the Baptist, okay, which we're going to look at today in verses 57 through 80 in Luke chapter 1. And the next one is the birth of Christ, which we're going to look at next week in chapter 2. But we've already seen God begin to fulfill some of his prophetic promises already in scripture in regard to both John the Baptist and his Messiah, our Lord Jesus Christ, by sending his angel Gabriel to inform the families of the coming fulfillment of these promises. We've been looking at that. that. Zacharias and Elizabeth, they've been told, we know that Zach, he struggled at first with this reality, so he was put under discipline from the Lord for a time and he was rendered unable to speak. Isn't it interesting that because Zacharias didn't believe the word of God, that God removed his ability to use words. But Liz, she did believe, right? She was a woman of faith and she believed. And so she was so taken by God's gift that she actually had to get away for five months. In her words, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among people. That's Luke one twenty-five. Guys, there is nothing... And I mean nothing that this world can say or do that will crush the spirit of one whom God has looked upon and dealt with and taken away their reproach. Nothing. There's nothing the world can do about that. When your heavenly father looks upon you, then you know that you're loved. Well, then there's Mary, right? She also believed the word of the Lord. And she humbly said, behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to to your word. That's Luke 138. So afterwards, she headed over to Liz's house for a time where they rejoiced together. She remained there for about three months, the word says. And then most likely, either during this time or shortly after Mary's return home, it's when the angel told Joseph what was about to go down. And you can read his account if you want to over in Matthew chapter one, verses 18 through 24. It's fascinating. So the news has been made known by the angel to everybody who needs to know it at this point. And now the time has come for the first of these two miracle babies to enter the world. And that's where we're going to pick up our story today. We're going to pick up the story in the gospel of Luke with the birth of the forerunner by looking at Luke chapter one, verses 57 through 80. Let's pray quickly before we get into the text. We love you, Lord, and thank you again for our time together. As we enter in now into this time around your word, please. Bless it. Please anoint it, Lord. uh, Speak to us through it. May your Holy Spirit guide us into all truth. If I do make a mistake again and say something false or untrue, please strike that from our memories quickly. Help us to only remember the Word of God this morning. Please help us to rightly divide it. Please get it into our hearts that we might not sin against you, and help us, Lord, to receive this word of God from you this morning, that it might change our life, that we can leave here different than the way we came. And we ask this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 57, says this, Now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. So right off the bat, I don't want you to miss this, we learned something. We learned that prophecy has been fulfilled. Right here in this verse, remember the angel Gabriel told Zacharias back in verse 13 that your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And now that prophetic word, that promise has been fulfilled, right? You know, verses like this, it really makes me wonder, why do we ever struggle to believe the word of God? I mean, it has a perfect Track record, doesn't it? The Word of God has been 100% accurate 100% of the time. So we have absolutely no reason to doubt it at all. I mean, the Bible continues to verify its own validity time after time after time, just as it has all throughout history. In fact, one of the main reasons that we know the Bible is the Word of God is because of the hundreds and hundreds of prophecies that have come true, that have been fulfilled. Which, of course, also gives us assurance that all of its future prophecies will also come true, right? We can trust the Bible. Psalm 119.89 says, Forever, O Lord, your word, your word is settled in heaven. Amen. So we can wholeheartedly trust in the settled word of God. But this scripture here, it also got me to thinking this. Man, wouldn't it be nice if this whole pregnancy thing worked that way today? For all of us? I mean, think about that. You know, the angel Gabe he shows up telling everybody to rejoice. Hey, surprise, you're prego. (laughs) Oh, by the way, spoiler alert, it's a boy. (laughs) You're having a boy, so don't worry about that whole gender reveal party (laughs) business. It's a boy. You don't have to worry about making that list of names. You don't have to worry about arguing back and forth with your spouse. Oh, how about this name? Oh, I hate that name. You always hate all my names. You know how that goes. Actually, his name's John. So you don't have to even worry about that. Wouldn't that just make life a whole lot easier? I think it would. So, nine months after Zach and Liz get this news, Liz brought forth a son, fulfilling prophecy just as was foretold reminding us again that always 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 God keeps his promises verse 58 when her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her they rejoiced with her amen didn't we just say that God keeps his word and right here in verse 58 we see it again another prophecy fulfilled Right after Gabriel told Zacharias that his wife would bear a son and call his name John in verse 13, he said, and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. That's verse 14, chapter 1. And now, here they are. The neighbors, the relatives, all gathered around to celebrate and rejoice at the birth of this baby. Just like the angels said they would. But if you look closely, then I think you can see that This is more than just a birthday celebration here. These family and these friends, they came to rejoice with Elizabeth because of the mercy of God. They had heard how the Lord had shown his great mercy to Elizabeth and they came to express their joy in the mercy of the Lord. Man, what a great perspective to have about this whole situation. How beautiful are the neighbors and the family members who will rejoice with you In the mercy of God. You see, the focus here isn't on John. The focus isn't on Elizabeth. It's on God. It's on God. Of course, they rejoiced with Elizabeth, but the source of their joy was in the mercy of the Lord. True worship and true joy can only come when we focus solely on God. True joy will never find its home in a preoccupied, selfish, entitled heart. Okay, it's only when we turn our focus outward toward God that we can then rejoice in his mercy toward other people and the things that have absolutely nothing to do with us, yet we're joyful. You know, the old acronym is joy, Jesus, others, and yourself. And I think that's a good way to think about joy. Keep Jesus first, then others, then yourself. Verse 59. So it was on the eighth day, that they came to circumcise the child and they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. Okay, so this verse here is very rich with tradition, okay? Because every Jewish Jewish boy who was um, born would be circumcised on the eighth day, okay? And this was according to the childbirth ritual that God gave to Moses back in Leviticus chapter 12, verse three, but it was actually in keeping with the sign of the covenant, That God had made with Abraham far before that, back in Genesis 17, verses 10 through 14. And so Jewish tradition was that male babies were not only to be sacrificed, circumcised. (laughs) Let me get that right. (laughs) Circumcised on the eighth day. (laughs) They were also to be named on the eighth day. That was their tradition. Male babies were to be named on the day of their circumcision. So the expectation, at least from the family and friends here, is that the baby's name was going to be Zach Jr. Right? That was just a given. Okay? It just seemed like a foregone conclusion because tradition would support naming your firstborn son after the father. But in the words of Lee Corso, Not so fast, my friend. Look at verse 60. His mother answered and said, No, he shall be called John. You see, faith leads to obedience. Elizabeth believed. Okay, and now she follows through with obedience. I mean, think about this for a second. This kid is only eight days old. Okay, he can't even prepare his own meals, much less prepare the way of the Lord yet. Okay, for all Zach and Liz know, he could go off the rails at some point and not amount to anything. But look again at the faith. He shall be called John. Just like the angel said, guys, faith obeys when it can't see the future. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen according to Hebrews chapter 11 verse one. So I think a good lesson for us to learn here is to obey what God is telling us to do by faith and just let him take care of the future. Okay, he knows the end from the beginning anyway. And God has never given any of us any reason to doubt him whatsoever. Elizabeth, she had followed through with the angel's command to name her son John based on future promises, right? Of the great things that he would do, not that he has done, okay? Before he was even eight days old. Guys, that's faith. That is faith. Verse 61. But they said to her, there is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. Well, that's right. And tradition means nothing compared to the word of God. Tradition means nothing compared to the word of God. Gabriel said his name shall be called John, which means Jehovah is a gracious giver. And the family and friends, they'd all gathered around to celebrate the mercy of God. So you would hope that they were beginning to understand here that God's mercy trumps tradition. And the giver is greater than the gift. But they were still unaware that the mercy of God was to extend much, much farther Than just granting an aging couple a child. Verse 62. So they made signs to his father, what he would have him called. Now this is interesting here to me because Zacharias was disciplined for his unbelief by not being able to speak. Luke chapter 1, verse 20. So in other words, he was mute. Okay? But the word never says that he was deaf. Right? So why did they make signs? I think that's a valid question. There are many who say, well, this this verse here, it gives us evidence that Zacharias was both deaf and mute. And that could certainly be the case. I don't disagree with that at all. But others would say, well, this was just an assumption made by his family and friends here. In other words, they just thought that because he couldn't speak, he also couldn't hear. And in my opinion, that seems like a bit of a stretch. Honestly, considering that Zacharias was already nine months into his discipline. You would think that they would have known whether or not he could hear them at this point. I mean, some of these folks were his neighbors, right? So scripture isn't explicit on this. And so we don't know. But either way, it doesn't matter much. We know that his discipline was uh, being stricken with not being able to speak. And so verse 63 he asked for a writing tablet. And he wrote saying his name is John. So they all marveled. So Zacharias, after nine months, nine whole months of not being able to speak due to his unbelief and the correction and the discipline of the Lord, he writes in faith, his name is John. Right Now this is a statement of fact. Okay, This is not a suggestion. The issue has already been settled. Zacharias is saying... Look, we're not following tradition here, y'all. We're following the word of the Lord. Okay, we didn't wait eight days to name him, and we're not going to name him after his dad. His name is John. And so all the people, that's bold, okay? And all the people, they took a look at the tablet, and they, were, they marveled, the word says. The word that Luke uses here for that word marveled means admired. So they admired him. Amen. We should admire those who are willing to break with tradition in order to obey the word of God. We should admire those who respond to the chastening of the Lord with humility and faith. And that's exactly what we see here. Verse 64 immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke praising God. Wow. Zacharias had nine months to reflect on the result of his unbelief. And the very first words out of his mouth. Were are praise to God. Amen. How has unbelief kept you from glorifying God? Dr. Ironside said unbelief had closed his lips. Faith opened them. And that's right. And evidently as Zacharias continued praising the Lord here, he was divulging some more information that the angel Gabriel had given him concerning his son, John. Okay, which would explain the reaction of the crowd here after seeing firsthand the miracle of God opening the mouth of Zacharias and loosing his tongue. I mean, it was all becoming clear now. It was starting to make a little more sense to him. This was all a result of what happened to Zacharias back in the temple. I think the dots were being connected here. The light bulbs were going off. We remember that day when he came out making signs and he couldn't speak. He was in there a long time. He did see something. He did hear from the Lord that day. And now John is here and Zacharias can speak again. So could the rest of this prophecy really be true as well? That's probably what's going on in their mind here. I mean, will John really be great in the sight of the Lord, like they say? I mean, has he really been filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb? Will he really turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, like everybody's saying? And will he really make ready a people prepared for the Lord? I mean, is this baby John really the forerunner to our Messiah? Is this really happening? Just imagine what was going on in their hearts and in their minds as they begin to process all of this information during this time. Verses fifty-five, or 65 and 66 say, Then fear... Came on all who dwelt around them, and all these things were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all those who heard them kept them in their hearts, saying, What kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. And so now the chatter begins. Okay. Little John the Baptist was the talk of the town. I mean you can just hear it right now, right? All the people chattering on the street corner in the barber shop, down at the restaurant, all the coffee houses throughout all the hill country of Judea. But this was a different kind of gossip here. I mean, what people were saying about this child, it caused them to fear. Did you see that? And it caused them to consider the potential outcome in their hearts. It was getting real. You see, there comes a time when we all have to get honest before God. Every one of us. What if this child is who they say he is? Hmm. I mean, what if the Messiah is on his way? What does that mean for me? I mean, am I ready to meet my king? Am I ready for that? Now let's put this into our context. What about us? Right? We know that Christ has come, we know that, but Scripture tells us that he's coming again. So, am I ready to meet my king today? Verse 67. Now his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied saying, man, I love this. This is so beautiful right here. His wife had been filled with the Spirit. His son had been filled with the Spirit. And now after months of reflection, faith had conquered Zacharias's unbelief and now he is filled with the Spirit. Amazing. After 400 years of prophetic silence from the Lord, he has now spoken four different times in the last nine months. Okay. God is on the move again among his people. God has spoken through Gabriel, Elizabeth, Mary, and now Zacharias, right? And Zacharias, he offers up an amazing prophecy here that scholars call the Benedictus. That's Latin for blessed. And in his prophecy, Zechariah is going to focus on the grace of God. Grace that he gives and grace that he has given to his people, which, of course, perfectly reflects the name of his child, John. The very one who's going to point people to the giver of that grace, Jesus Christ, the savior of the world. He is the object of Zacharias's prophecy here. And in verses 68 through 75, they speak directly of Christ. Okay, blessed be the Lord God of Israel And then down in verses 76 through 79, they speak to John, the prophet of the highest, but they still continue to speak about Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the focus of prophetic history. Luke 24, 27. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, according to Revelation chapter 19, verse 10. And so Zacharias begins his prophecy like this in verse 68. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel. For he has visited and redeemed his people so right away we see the holy spirit tell us through zach's prophecy that jesus christ is the lord god of israel jesus in other words is god okay he is the redeemer who will come and who will rescue his people jesus his name means jehovah is salvation And that's taken from the Hebrew name Yeshua or Joshua of the same meaning. In other words, Jesus Christ is the God of salvation. And Zachariah speaks of him as if he's already come and as as if he's already redeemed his people. Did you notice that? I mean, that's how certain the word of God is. Okay, it can speak of the future in the present tense. Because whatever God says he will do, he will most certainly do. It's as if it's already happened. But as is the case with a lot of prophecy in the Bible, and you need to be careful here with prophecy, a lot of times prophecy has a parallel meaning. Okay, It's very common in Scripture, which is to say this. It has a now and later aspect to it. All right, It's true in one sense now, and it's true in another sense later. Christ will visit and redeem those who trust in Him by faith now, through his sacrificial and atoning death on the cross, and cross, and he will visit his people later, the nation of Israel, okay, when he returns a second time to set all things right and to deliver his people from their enemies physically and to establish his kingdom on earth physically. So this prophecy is true now, in a sense, and it's true then, in another sense. Verse 69, And has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Amen. Jesus Christ is the horn of salvation. Okay. Now in the Old Testament, a horn was a sign of power. A horn was a sign of strength and it was a sign of victory. We see that in 1 Kings chapter 22 verse 11. We see it again in 1 Samuel chapter 2 verse 1 and Psalm 89, 17 and 24. Okay. And only Jesus Christ has the power over the enemy of our souls and only Jesus is strong enough to save a sinner's soul for all of eternity and only Christ has won the victory over death, hell and the grave power, strength and victory Jesus Christ has been raised up as our horn of salvation by being raised up on a cross to suffer for the sins of the world And he said in John chapter 12, verse 32, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, meaning on the cross, I will draw all peoples to myself. That's right. Just like that serpent on the pole, right? In Moses's day. Whoever will look upon the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. And you can have complete assurance of that too, because as Luke tells us again in Acts chapter 13, verse 30, that God raised him from the dead. All right. So, yes, a horn of salvation has been raised up for you and for me. And it is Jesus Christ, our Lord, the one to whom all power and all strength and all victory belongs. Verse 70, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been since the world began. Okay, so you see, Christ crucified was always the plan. That was always the plan, all right? The cross of Christ was never plan B. You know, just in case humanity messed up and sinned, no. No. It was always the plan. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 says, He indeed, meaning Christ, was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifested in these last times for you. So, God's plan all along was to send His Son to be sacrificed for our sins because there was never any doubt that you and I would blow it, right? We would sin. And now he is about to be manifested to humanity, just like the prophets have been saying from the beginning. I like what theologian John Trapp said here. He writes, There were so many prophets, yet they all had one mouth. So sweet was their harmony. I like that quote. All of these prophets, man, they were singing the same tune, weren't they? And it was the song of Jesus, verse 71. That we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. All right, so again, Zacharias has Israel in mind here, okay? But this prophecy is true again on two levels. In one sense, Christ will indeed one day save his people, Israel, from their enemies. That's true. Yet in another sense, All those who put their faith in Jesus Christ today will be saved from their sin. They will be saved from death and they will be saved from the enemy of their souls. Verses 72 and 73. To perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham. That's right. Man, I really like what G. Campbell Morgan said here. It's a longer quote, but it's... Well worth reading. So let me read it to you. G. Campbell Morgan writes this. He says, It is arresting to notice the connection between the name of John and the song. All through, the song is celebrating the name. He's referring to the prophecy here from Zacharias. John means the grace of God. And that's what Zacharias was celebrating in this wonderful song prophecy. He was thinking of his boy. He was thinking of himself. He was thinking of his wife. For the meaning of all the names is here. The boy's name is John, which means the grace of God. His name was Zacharias, which means God will remember. His wife's name was Elizabeth, which means the oath of God. So as we look back through the scripture, to show mercy is John's name, the grace of God. To remember his holy covenant is his own name, Zacharias, God remembers. The oath which he swore to Abraham is his wife Elizabeth's name. The oath of God. Pretty cool stuff. What great insight there from Pastor Morgan. The birth of the coming Christ is proof that God remembers his oath. And he keeps his promises. Verses 74 and 75. To grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in the holiness or in holiness and righteousness before him All the days of our life. So as Zacharias most likely is thinking back to Genesis chapter 17 here, that's what I think, to God's covenant that he had made with Abraham. He's probably thinking of being delivered from the heavy hand of the Roman Empire at this point. I mean, he's probably imagining all that land of Canaan that they were promised, that promised land, the everlasting possession right and this is where the jewish people will finally be free from their enemies on this earth without fear forever with god in their midst protecting them while they serve him now of course that will be the case but not yet okay paul told timothy in 1 timothy 1:15 1, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that christ jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom i am chief so yes on the one hand, Christ will return again as the conquering king. No doubt about that. We can have complete assurance of that. And all that land of Canaan will be given to Israel. Okay, but for now, we look to a spiritual Canaan, a place not built with human hands, whose builder and maker is God. We look toward heaven, the real Canaan. And we look to the one who can save our soul and deliver us from hell. In other words, we look to Jesus. The one who can deliver us from our sin right now, today. The one who can clothe us in his righteousness that we might serve him in holiness and without fear all the days of our life here on this earth. Right? It's in Christ that we find our Canaan. It's in Christ that we find our promised land he alone is our prized possession and he alone is our hope for all of eternity so if you want to be delivered from the hand of your enemy this morning right then i pray that the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints as paul wrote in ephesians 1:18. that it is christ in you that is your hope of glory Colossians chapter 1 verse 27 so if you're looking for deliverance this morning then please look to the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved look to Jesus Christ to find your hope right I can promise you you're not going to find eternal hope anywhere else than the Lord Jesus Christ verse 76 and you child will be called the prophet of the highest for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways all right so now Zacharias turns his prophetic attention toward his son, right? And his role in the great plan of God here. He will be called the prophet of the highest. Man, what a title that is. And he's going to go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. What a job description that is. But even though Zacharias is addressing his very newborn son here, the focus is still on Jesus. The focus is still on Christ because Zacharias is remembering the quote from Isaiah chapter 40, verse three here that says that this forerunner will prepare the way of the Lord. Now that Hebrew spelling in your Bible should be in all caps. Lord should be in all caps there because that is the proper name for God. That is the tetragrammaton. That's the all consonants and no vowels. That's Y-H-W-H is how that is spelled because they were afraid to pronounce the name of God. So they just wrote the consonants and not the vowel. The word means existing one. If you see Lord all caps in your Bible, it means existing one. It means Yehovah. Or we would say Jehovah or Yahweh. So again, through the instruction of the Holy Spirit of God, Zacharias is telling the world that Jesus is God. Dr. Ironside put it like this. He said, The Jesus of the New Testament is the incarnate Jehovah of the Old Testament. Amen. That's exactly right. Jehovah is Yeshua, God incarnate, the long-awaited Messiah. Or as the Jews would say, Yeshua, Amashiach, Jesus, the Messiah. And John the Baptist, he will have a very distinct privilege here of going before His face, Christ's face, God to prepare his way. Man, what a calling. And here's his mission. Look at verse 77 to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. Amen. The old covenant is passing away and the new covenant is now on its way. Okay. And this covenant will be in the blood of Jesus Christ, according to Christ himself in Luke 22, verse 20 and his blood. Christ's blood will remit. That word means to cancel. He will remit our sins. Acts 10, 43 says to him, meaning Christ, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. And notice John's going to be giving knowledge of this salvation, right? Knowledge of it. In other words, it's not automatic. Okay. You're not born saved. Just because you're Jewish doesn't mean you're automatically saved. No, it's not how it works. It's only by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone that we are saved. That anyone and everyone all throughout time has ever been saved, regardless of their heritage and regardless of their bloodlines, right? Only the blood of Jesus Christ will save a sinner from hell. Verse 78, through the tender mercy of our God, which or with which the day spring from on high has visited us. Wow. So a new day is dawning on the horizon of history and the mercy of God will be manifested in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The day spring is coming from on high and he will visit us, right? So God will come to us because we can never get to him right? No, we could never get to God on our own. Therefore, he had to come to us and he will be with us. He will have to visit us because we have no other road to him. All right. The only way home to the father is through Jesus Christ, our Lord, his son, and he will be called our day spring. The word says he's called day because he is light and he will bring his light to us. He's called spring because those who receive his light in them, he will make all things new, just like spring. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, anyone, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Listen to this. Behold, all things have become new. And Christ is on the verge of breaking the dawn of history verse 79 to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace man dr ironside writes how beautiful the language zacharias uses he speaks of the grace of god thus being manifested to sinful men like the rising of the morning sun after the darkness of night to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death amen you see, guys, we weren't even trying to find our way back to God. We were just sitting there. We were just sitting there. We were sitting in our own self-made sinful darkness waiting to die. Until the true light, which gives light to every man, came into the world, according to John 1.9. And he came to guide our feet into the way of peace. Right here, according to verse 79. And as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, according to John 1.12. So daylight is dawning over the darkness of the world. God has kept his promises of the past, and he is sending his son to redeem us from our sins in the present, and he will act in full authority, in full fulfillment of his promises of the future. Therefore, because of that, you and I are faced with a decision to make, aren't we? Do I continue to sit in darkness and wait to die? Or do I come to the light of Jesus Christ and live? That's the decision. Not just live today, but for all of eternity. Isaiah 45, says, look to me. And be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Listen, don't wait another day in the darkness. Don't do it. Don't put off getting right with God anymore. Not one more minute. Don't you want to have peace with God? He came to guide our feet into peace. Christ has come to guide you there. So stop struggling in your flesh, stop wrestling with your spirit. And let the light of Christ deliver you from the darkness of your soul. Look to Christ and live. One more verse, verse 80, and we're done. So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts until the day of his manifestation to Israel. So John the Baptist grew up. And we don't have any record of what his life was like. Scripture doesn't tell us. But based on what we know about his parents... I'm sure he had a pretty good upbringing. That would be my guess. I mean, his parents were human, but they loved God. Okay? But eventually, the time came for John to head out on his own. Okay? It was time for him to fulfill God's calling on his life. Scholars say that he would have been probably about 20 years old when he left home. And that's based on the fact that priests normally began their study in the priesthood at about 20 his dad was a priest, therefore John was a priest. And so to leave home to begin your studies, that would have been about 20. It's a guess, but it's an educated guess. So we can't know for sure exactly how, John, how old John was. But we do know this. It was time for him to go. And there comes a time in each and every one of our lives as well when we have to stand on our own two feet by faith and walk on our own. I mean, Elizabeth, she had to get away. She went back home, and that was by faith. She had to face all those people who had reproached her her entire life. Mary, she had to get away for a time, and then she came back home by faith. Right? She had to face all of those people who had no doubt accuse her of adultery. She went. So it takes faith to face the troubles in your life. And the truth is, I can't walk by your faith. Right? I have to walk by my faith. And so John grew up. Again, I'm sure it was in a good home. But now it was time for him to get away. It was time for John to begin to walk by faith, his own faith. And maybe that's where you're at today. I don't know. But maybe it's time for you to stop depending on the faith of other people and start exercising faith in your own life. You see John, he needed time in the desert to grow strong in the Lord, the word says. So please don't despise the dry and the barren times in your life. Okay? Make good use of your time in the desert. Get alone with God. Use those times in the desert to strengthen your spirit, to grow up in the Lord Jesus Christ, to grow strong in the Lord. Because what we need to understand is that the desert doesn't always mean discipline. Oftentimes it means discipleship. Disciples grow in the desert. So what step of faith is God asking you to take this morning? Is he asking you to step out on your own by faith? Maybe he's asking you to begin to take ownership of your faith. Is God asking you to step out in faith in some area of ministry? Maybe he's asking you to put your faith in Christ for the first time. I don't know. Maybe he's asking you to be saved. Only you and God can know that. There's no doubt that faith is personal, but please hear this. Faith is never private. It's personal, but it's not private. So whatever it is that God's asking you to do this morning, then I just want to encourage you to do that. To step out on faith. Don't sit another day in the darkness. The day spring has dawned and he has come to give you light, the word of God says. So how are you going to respond to the Lord this morning? That's up to you how you do that. But what is God asking you to do this morning? Whatever that is, my prayer for all of us this morning is that we would all respond in faith. Father, we are grateful To be here this morning, we are grateful for the word that you have given us, preserved for us and settled in heaven, Lord, so that we can know that it's true without a doubt. We have no reservations about the truth of your word. Your prophecies have come true time after time after time. And so we know that we can trust it. We know that what you say is going to happen will happen. And we are grateful, Lord, for that. And we know, Lord, that your word tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please you. So I pray that this morning we can all take that next step of faith in our life, whatever that means. If it means stepping out on our own, beginning to take ownership of our faith. Maybe it's stepping out in ministry in some area. Maybe it's coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know. Whatever it is, Lord. Help us to do that, to take that next step of faith this morning and trust in the unchanging word of God. Your word says believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Your word tells us that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ was risen from the dead, you will be saved. Those are promises. Help us to believe those promises today. If there's anyone here or anyone that's listening who has never turned away from their sin and turned to Jesus Christ alone by faith, I pray that they would do that even this morning. That they would not sit one more minute in the darkness. The day spring has dawned and you have come to give us light and to guide our feet into peace. The only peace that we can find in this world or the next is in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I pray that they would put their faith in Jesus today. For those of us who do have a relationship with you already, but maybe we're struggling with something, we can't figure it out, our spirit is burdened, help us to let go of that. Help us to cast our cares on you because you care for us. That's what your word says. Do we believe that by faith? Will we do that? Will we be bold enough to take that next step of faith in our life, to grow closer in our relationship With you. What are you asking us to do? Lord, whatever that is, please help us to respond with, Yes, Lord, just like Mary, let it be to me according to your word. When the people were all surrounding John, Oh, his name's going to be Zacharias. Because that's what we do. Yet, Elizabeth. And Zacharias stepped up in faith and said, no, his name is John. Are we willing to break with tradition in order to keep with the word of God? What are you asking us to do by faith today? We love you, Lord, and we pray that you would have your way this morning. Thank you again for our time of worship. It's all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.